This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. to episode 84 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson, joined by my co-host Joshua Perry. This podcast brought to you by Bet Online. Joshua, how are you this morning? Um, it has been back-to-back episodes that we have had outtakes in the beginning of our podcast. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with some outtakes, so I mean, you know, yeah. we record in the morning sometimes after a workout, so you know, you're, you're still trying to get everything clicking on all cylinders, but <laughs> I'm all good to go. Ready for a good show today. Yeah, I am too. Uh, We're definitely getting into, which crazy enough to sound like this is July, like just saying we're getting into July seems crazy to me because we have kind of been in this, I guess, swing of what are we going to be doing for the actual college football season for the past three months now. And right now we have you know, teams returning to facilities and we have seen like the COVID spikes and testing. And we're still in that point where we're thinking, okay, we still don't know what's going to happen with the college football season 100% for sure. Right. I mean, we we can guess that we're going to see football happen, but at the same time, we are still at that point where we can't say for sure. And it's, it's, I guess I'm just looking for the time where we can be like, okay, the college football is going to start Joshua. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and, and it's unique. I, I think first off, twenty twenty is like the the fastest slow year ever. Yeah, you, you know, like time That's is actually flying, but it's yeah. been like a slow year just because there's not a lot going on. But my confidence in football has been a uh, a unique curve, and I think yeah. it has been the inverse of the the coronavirus curve. 
where for a while I'm like, man, you know, fall's not looking great. And then the cases started to go down and started to stabilize and, and the whole deal. Yeah. And my confidence increased. And now we're looking at some of the states, um, you know, particularly uh, some of the southern states that yes. kind of got back to uh, business as usual a little bit quicker than some of the others. And the cases are spiking rapidly right now. And and I'll say, you know, I, I hope that the the hospital admissions and the ICU admissions don't spike in the same proportion as these cases. But, right. you know, as, as the cases keep ticking upward, my confidence kind of dwindles. So I'm hoping that there's a point where this is under control, maybe mid-July, to where we can have some sort of confidence in how we're going to pull off a football season. Um, but for me to say that I am uh, as confident as I was maybe like the beginning of this month, probably not, but I still hold out some confidence. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on on that level of confidence in, in when it comes to starting the football season. And here's my thing too, Joshua, because you were talking about the southern states, obviously, where where I am down in Nashville, Tennessee. And, and there is an increase in all of those states in terms of in terms of COVID numbers, and I think it's it's a, it's just disappointing because when it comes to opening things up, like I get opening things up, right? I I totally understand that you know slowly getting things back to normal, but the problem is is that people think when things open up that they can just go back to doing everything they did normally before COVID, right? Yeah. So it's like they they go out and they're not wearing masks or they go out and they're going to a bar with 500 people shoulder to shoulder. It's like, those are the things that you just can't do. You yeah. can go enjoy a dinner on a patio and, and be socially distancing and follow all the protocols. And I'm fine with that. But if you're going out and doing things like this is 2018, beginning of 19, I'm sorry, but that you're just plain stupid in my eyes. Like I, I, I hate tend to, to agree say with it. That. Yeah, you know, no, it is what it is. I, I saw a great quote from somebody. They said, uh, "Just because the economy and states are reopening doesn't mean that the pandemic's over." And I think that's a great way to put it. And I, I've said this a number of times. I know you you tend to agree with this, but I just, for the life of me, I cannot understand uh, the the refusal of even wearing a mask. And I know some people uh, don't believe that a mask will help keep anybody safe, but even if it does just a little bit, like you don't have anything to lose. If yeah. it doesn't work and you wear yeah. it, then you're in the same spot. If it works and you wear it, then then everybody's better. Like I, it, I just, again, we are a society. Um, and again, I appreciate individual freedom and liberty and free will. Uh, and that's why this is the greatest nation on earth. But I also think that uh, our our belief in independence has led to an individualism among society that is a detriment almost to to this point because we can't figure out how to keep other people safe. Um, we would rather, you know, read a Facebook post and decide that we're not going to wear a mask than listen to some of our nation's top experts telling us that it's probably a wise idea. Right. And I guess my point is for all of this, Joshua, is if you want to enjoy the luxuries of, you know, a football season, a college football season, having your sports return here's the thing, like, just do what you have to do right now for the, for these remaining summer months and wear a mask. Like that's all people are asking you to do. Cause then it's going to help bring everything back quicker. I just don't think people realize that the more and more you go do things because you're just trying to make a, a separate statement, um, the more and more it's going to hurt the overall effect of everything. Because in, in the end, we all, 
want things to go back to normal. I want college football to start, but it's not going to happen if we continue to just do what we're doing um, with carelessness. So that's just my point. No, that's when it. it comes to, yeah, when it comes to actually getting back um, the things that we love. So let's get into a little college football. And I know that we had ended our podcast last week on the debate of what was going to happen with the state of Mississippi and removing that Confederate emblem from their flag. They're the only state left with any kind of tie to the Confederacy. Uh, we saw some you know, outrage from some of the athletes and pretty much saying, hey, if we uh, don't see this removed, we're not going to be playing at these schools. And so I guess that the Mississippi lawmakers voted to um, go ahead and retire that Confederate battle emblem from the state flag. Obviously, they had a lot of pressure on them, and it really shouldn't have ever come down to that. Let's be real. Uh, but they did, they are doing it, Joshua, and um, it hasn't been done yet, obviously, but this is something that is going to happen. I'm sure there's a lot of athletes that you know go to those schools down there, Mississippi, Mississippi State, to name some of the big ones in the SEC that are, that are looking at this, and they're thinking, okay, this is a good sign. Yeah, and I, you know, part of me wonders why it takes this type of pressure uh, well, yeah. to be able to to get to this point. And I know that mm -hmm. that's been a uh, a battle they've been having for a while in Mississippi. I know they've gone back and forth on that. Uh, the fact of the matter is, it, it kind of took a little bit of you know increased pressure from student athletes and coaches from major universities to you know kind of threaten for. Mississippi was probably a big part of their bottom line and being able to have football and, and a point of pride too throughout the state. Let's not forget that. But I want to I want to make this point too. I think it's wonderful what they're doing, uh, and it's it's a great step forward um, as a state acknowledging that their flag has you know a real problematic symbol in that they're willing to take the next step forward. Now I hate to be this guy, and people are gonna you know. Some people have an issue with this, but let's let's also not forget Ole Miss. You know what what is their mascot? They're the rebels. The rebel. yeah. yeah. You know, like I, I think that there needs to also be a paradigm shift when you're looking at that university as well in probably some of their history and 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 how they are represented and what they not necessarily stand for today, but maybe have stood for in the past. I think um, you know a university in the state of Mississippi where. Um, you know, your nickname is the rebels. I like that is absolutely a problematic thing. So I think it's yeah. going to continue to be a battle that, you know, people are going to have to reconcile with these things. And it's not, again, it's not an erasure of anything. And it's not to necessarily say that, um, you know, these institutions are, are, you know, racist institutions today, but it is also to acknowledge that in order to move forward, we have to rid ourselves of these these symbols that represent some of the worst evils that our nation had to offer in its past. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned that I was actually going to ask you about that specific um, mascot, you know, just because I, I thought about that. And I was like, Oh yeah, I guess they do still have, cause I believe they still, I mean, I've seen the, the little rebel guy, you know, on things as a, and I think he's still on as a mascot on the field. As of recently, I think I had seen like that mascot. They they haven't changed that, have they at all? I'm not sure. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll have to look in because I had heard that they had done some things, but um, from all I understand, they they still are the Rebs, right? The running yeah. running Rebs or whatever. So that should be interesting to see if that's kind of the next step for them, uh, because I know that Lane Kiffin 
and Mike Leach, but more so I saw that Lane Kiffin came out um, and actually said some stuff about this is, you know, this is way past the time that we need to be fixing this stuff. So it'll be interesting now to see, okay, is this the next thing that we kind of change down there? Because there's, there's not a lot in terms of those mascots and everything that they're needing to change, but they're still those little ones that you, you got to like, we're changing this. You got to change something like that. Yeah. And, and I think just for the, well, so here's, here's the reality situation too. Um, The state of Mississippi has the highest proportion of black residents of any state in the, in the United States of America. So I think for the flagship university of a state um, to be able to distance itself from, you know, a nickname like the Rebels and, and some of the history like Mississippi has. And, and you know, I'm not going to sit here and play historian today, but I mean, it's it's been a battle for some people living there. And in Mississippi, not only do they deal with some of the racial tension, but uh, financially they struggle. Uh, they, they struggle in education. Um, so like that, that is a state that probably needs as much for um, moving forward and for pride and, and, you know, for generating an identity of um, something that can be really uplifting to its citizens. And so to me, I think all of these things where people can come together and decide that, you know, they, w- they want to do better as a state, I think it's all positive. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm looking up Ole Miss because I knew I had seen something about here this. So technically their um, nickname is still the Rebels, but their actual mascot is now Tony the Landshark. Interesting. Yes. So while I don't think the average person, I mean, me even being a college football person, I had heard of this. That's why I brought that up. I was like, I feel like something has happened with their mascot. Um, So yeah, it's Tony the Land Shark now, which replaced the Rebel Black Bear. And that was replaced in 2018, who replaced Colonel Reb in 2011. Okay. So So that's that's the timeline we're seeing right now. But here's the thing. Joshua, I'm still associating Old Miss with the Rebels because it's still their nickname. Right. And and that was kind of my point there. I thought that the Land Sharks referred to their defense because the guys always do like the shark mm-hmm. fin when they make a play. Yep, yep. So I, I thought, that, you know, like how Ohio State does silver bullets, like I thought that was kind of how they termed their defensive unit. Um, so that's actually a really interesting piece to know there. I mean, at that point, do you feel like it's it's that big of a shift to maybe just go to like the land sharks just overall period and just call it that? Yeah. I mean, at at, at some point you kind of have to do that, right? You would think so. And just like because, a, a rebrand. It, yeah. I mean, just make it a thing, right? I mean, and in, in, in my opinion, do it in a time where we're seeing all this change so that right. it's something that people take notice of. Right. Because let me tell you something, most people didn't take notice of you guys changing your mascot to Tony the Land Shark because you're still associated with being the Rebels. So right. I mean, do it at a time where you kind of do a rebranding of everything. See, and here's the other thing. So remember when I was talking about um, the, sorry, the Run-In Rebels are actually UNLV. So then that brings me to a question too. So it's the UNLV Rebels too. See, and I, I felt so, like... I knew that, but that I've, I know that's one of the things it's like, they're not a prominent school, so it's not really top of mind. Right. But I knew the run and rebels. And, and again, my apologies. I associated um, that with Old Miss. It was UNLV that I was talking about the run and rebels, but they're the rebels as well. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so I wonder 
what the uh, what the history like? How did how did UNLV become the rebels? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point um, because if it's like if we're saying here in the South, okay, Mississippi, you know, they need to be changing this and this. Well, then what about the UNLV rebels? Like, what's the background with that? So I'm reading an article here. It says. Okay. UNLV students started calling themselves the rebels, not because of any affinity oh. for the Confederacy, but because but they, they were angry, angry at local politicians who were stymieing their okay. attempts to become independent from the University of Nevada, Reno. Okay. So, But is that okay? Just because it has a, I mean, so it, do you look at that and say, Joshua, I'm asking you, do you so, look at that and say, okay, that's okay then? Because first people, when they think of the rebels, they're still thinking of the Confederacy. That's my opinion. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I think that's our natural association. But when, you know, like I, I had to ask the question myself, like what association would a school in Nevada have with yeah. the Confederacy? Right. So <laughs> right, right, right. in my mind, it, it already was like, okay, that's probably not something Confederate related. And then you read about the yeah. history. So in, in my mind, I think that context is is very important when we have these conversations and we qualify these scenarios because you know if you're telling me that it's you can be a rebel like I'm not saying that nobody can be a like rebel has a, a definition outside a definition. of the Confederate attachment but if it's directly linked to the Confederacy then I'm gonna have an issue with it. Is the mascot too like? But look at UNLV's mascot. Is that too similar to? Have you looked at their mascot? I mean, are you looking at their mascot? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think the the rebrand uh, where it's kind of just like the the image of the you know the hat and like you see the yeah. star there and it's not the the guy with the mustache and the feather in his cap. I think that's better now. Okay. I'm looking at some of these older ones and I'm like, ooh, that's. <laughs> I know. I'm like looking down the line too. Oh man, but it's all good though. This is an interesting path we went on, but I'm actually I'm I'm glad we did because it is it is interesting to talk about, and then you do talk about oh yeah, because I didn't even put that together that UNLV had that same you know mascot, and here we are at this point of our podcast, you know, kind of discussing this. So that's, that's interesting. It will be interesting to see if they completely just remove that rebels title from their future. Well, there is no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, you guys, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day live on their website. If you're looking for something other than sports, we got you. BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, bets you can check those all out plus you can visit betonline.ag and use that promo code blue wire and get a free welcome bonus that is one word blue wire bet online your online waging experts so we um had talked about this i think about a month ago when there was so much uncertainty i know some of the smaller conferences have even eliminated sports and which is crazy to see but now we're talking about some budget cuts and some budget cuts in what I think is, you know, a pretty well-known program, especially over on the West Coast where I'm originally from with Washington, the Huskies um, over in Seattle. They are having a major budget cut in their athletic department. They are reducing the overall athletic department operating budget by 15% for the 2020-21 fiscal year. 
So that is all of the school's head coaches. They have agreed to a minimum 5% pay reduction. So in the end, I guess that this overall operating budget reduction will save about $8.5 million, which is crazy because you see 15% and you're like, that's not by that much. But then you, you, know, you look at it as a whole and how much money is brought into an athletic department, and that will save them about $8.5 million. Also, head coach Jimmy Lake, who is the new football coach for the Washington Huskies, he is clearly taking that pay cut. He's also waiving all incentives for this next season, um, of course, if it happens. Your thoughts on this, Joshua, and this is really the first major program that has announced a big budget cut, and I'm thinking this is going to be a trend, and I'm thinking we're going to start seeing programs from all over the country in the next couple of months do stuff like this. No, it's it's definitely going to be a trend, and, and you look at athletic departments, they're absolutely run like businesses. And, and there have been a number of businesses who have said that they're not going to pay out bonuses um, to to qualified employees who would typically get a bonus. Uh, there are some companies that have asked some of their um, high level uh, managerial employees to take a little bit of a pay cut. And then we've seen the furloughs where people will be off of work for two, one, you know, one, two, three, four weeks at a time, um, kind of on a cycle. Mm-hmm. So this this shouldn't necessarily be a surprise, and I think you're absolutely right. This will become a trend um, because athletic departments a lot of times are running pretty thin anyway. Um, and and the, the true reality of the situation, too, is that there are bigger sports that have to support other sports at these schools. So the ability to say that maybe you're going you're gonna to pull back on expenditures, which would be uh, salaries to, to help your budget, is better than saying we're going to pull the plug on different sports in order mm-hmm. to save your budget. So I'm a fan of it. Now, I'll, I'll kind of bring this up. I saw over the weekend that uh, Morehouse said that they're going to cancel their uh, football season. Morehouse is an HBCU. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was really interesting. Part of their explanation talked about the the safety of being able to play the game, you know, going from city to city, going into different stadiums, allowing fans in, allowing people on their campus who uh, are coming from different areas and you're not able to really trace where they're coming from. But I I do think a lot of that also has to do uh, with budgetary reasons as well, because if you feel like you have the budget to maintain the facilities and clean them and to staff them properly, then some of those risks become less of a question. So I'm I'm very curious too for uh, maybe not you know, the blue blood power five conference football teams, but, you know, smaller conference HBCU, maybe some of the group of five really small teams or FCS schools. FCS. Um, yeah. Yep. What's going to, what's going to happen to their football seasons? You know, that's a good point. And you brought up the whole, this next season, if they do play, how much more is going to have to go into planning? How much more is going to have to go into putting money into all the safety protocols, health precautions that, is going there it's going to have to happen if they're going to play they're going to have to have a lot more involved with the actual day-to-day operations in football and so that all costs money and they're already not making money because you know there's been a lot of things canceled and you know you forget about the NCAA tournament how much that brings into universities and if there is there is not like the allowance of fans in the stands too, Joshua, that is also going to be enormous in terms of hits. Yeah. Because we're not even talking about that yet. We're just talking about them playing football at this point. Right. I mean, 
that's saying, the other the other point of all this, you know? It, it's a huge point. And I, I made this comment to some people who were asking me about Ohio State with, you know, Gene proposing that there could be some level of capacity for fans. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do with tickets? And, <clears throat> you know, football, uh, ticket price is already prohibitive for a lot of people. It's, it's expensive to attend a game. But sure. I think if you're an athletic department at a place like Ohio State where you know that, um, you know, there's money anyway, if you say 25% of the stadium's open, why wouldn't you jack up season ticket prices yep. four yep. times? And then yep. you let people decide. If you're somebody who says it costs too much, then, you know, that's how you weed out people who want to get in. If you're somebody who says, well, you know, it, I, the, the expense is fine, but I'm not really willing to take on the risk, then you eliminate those people as well. And you can recoup some of the the door, the gate fee, um, while having a limited capacity. Now, where it's going to hurt is all the concessions and all that other stuff. But I mean, if you're if you're running like a business and now you have scarce and finite product and you have people that are willing to pay a premium to have access to said product, it would make sense. I'm not saying it's ethical. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. But financially, it makes sense to at least explore what that would look like. Yeah, and I don't think that that's I don't think that's too far fetched. Just because we're getting into that time now, where you know, if they do allow fans, like you had just mentioned, but it's limited, and they're already dealing with you know these budget issues. Maybe that is something that some of these big universities do, these big football programs do, because you know that those fans, um, there's going to be enough of them probably that are going to want to go. Right? They're going to want to to pay whatever it takes to go watch their team play this season. Right. Uh, and and so for some of these athletic programs, maybe they look at that. And while you said it might not be the most ethical thing at the same time, it's like everybody's just kind of doing whatever they need to do to survive at this point. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and just to see what this does for the future of some of these athletic departments around the country. Not everybody, you know, can survive these type of things. Again, I've mentioned some of these smaller schools have already cut their programs um, for soccer and, and those type of things. Football is not going to happen. That's not going to happen in these big time programs. But it is going to probably hurt some things long term, or it's going to to at least hurt for the foreseeable future some of these programs, where it's going to take a while to get back everything that they had prior to this COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, you look at economies as, as they have existed throughout history and, and economic bounce backs, you know, you could talk about 2008, 2009, um, yeah. when, you know, things got rough for businesses. It took a lot yep. of businesses a while to get back up. And I'm not necessarily drawing that parallel saying it's that bad. But what right. I'm saying is it's not just a one year thing in terms of you know, budget and finances is going to be something that has a lasting impact and they're going to have to have a plan into the future to address it. Well, we're going to end this podcast on a fun note note, because I can talk today. And we would love to get some feedback from this after this. If you listen to this podcast, I'm interested to see your opinion and maybe we'll just put up kind of poll or something this week and Joshua and I will retweet it on what you think about this voting what it is, is 24-7 Sports came up with the top, now this is the top 25 programs in this decade. I'm not going, we're not going through all the top 25. That would take way too long. So I put the top five up there, but you should go 
read this article and and maybe discuss some of the things that are outside of the top five. So what happened was they decided to create like a point system. And the categories to acquire points include national championships, which would be 10 points each, national title game appearances, five points, college football playoff appearances, five points, those New Year's uh, Day bowl games, those are three points if you made an appearance, and then Heisman Trophy winners, they get two points. So you mix that all up, and what do you get? Well, I'm going to give you the top five that they came up with, and then Joshua and I are going to have a discussion about this because I'm sure he's going to have some very opinionated answers. Um, Number one, Alabama. I'm not really surprised here. We see them at the top with 166 points. Number two, Clemson, 122 points. So not super far behind, but, you know, still a little bit of a distance. And then at number three, Ohio State with 78.5 points. So they jumped all the way down to the double digits with Ohio State at number three. And then right behind them, Oklahoma just was just a couple points behind them at 76 points. I was a little shocked at that. And then LSU rounds out the top five with 44.5 points. When you look at the top five, Joshua, what's your first thoughts? Are you surprised Um, by anything? I'm really not. I'm really not, Um, especially based off of the criteria. But like, you know, Alabama, I think, has been the team that was very consistent throughout the uh, decade, you know, just from start to finish with, you know, their appearances in national championship games and toward the end of the decade, the playoff and everything. You know, I think Clemson was really the team that cleaned up points toward the end of the The decade. Yes. Yes. You know, like they're they're probably the strongest like right now, if we if we had to rank right now, yes, I would put Clemson at number one, probably yep. Ohio State to Alabama three if it was right now. But yep. over the course of the decade, I think this has it right. Ohio State's in there, obviously a national title, uh, many playoff appearances, the whole deal. Oklahoma's got Heisman Trophy winners, and they've been to the playoff a number of times, although they haven't had very much success in the playoff. Right. And then right. Um, LSU, obviously – it's been a team that's always been dangerous, but uh, this last year with the national title with Joe Burrow definitely helped boost them up. And we see the drop off in points, right? You talk about 166, 122, then 78 and a half, 76, and then 44 and a half. So, you know, it, it, the, the teams at the top are, they, they've dominated at the top, those top four teams. Yep. And then the rest of this list gets kind of interesting. I, I implore people to check it out. You know, second best team in the Big Ten, Wisconsin. Um, probably not the yeah. second biggest brand out of the Big Ten. Michigan State over Michigan for the decade. Not necessarily yep. a surprise, but you know, uh, I, Michigan would probably hate to know that their little brother has surpassed them. Is what it is. <laughs> um, great list, though. Texas, it is. twenty-five. Yeah, Texas. I was gonna say Texas is in there. I I definitely saw um, USC with whatever they're hanging on to from the last decade, Um, those early, early parts of the decade for USC being ranked in here pretty high. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting. When you look at uh, the points, and and I understand the point system because it's pretty much saying, you know, you're getting points for these specific things, and that is how they're ranking how successful you've been. But you had mentioned Clemson at number two with 122 points, well ahead of Ohio State with 78.5. I was at Ohio State when you were there, when, you know, you guys won the national championship and they have consistently been a program that has stayed at the top. And I guess what, when I look at things like this, 
I totally see the point process and how that adds up. But I just look at teams being the most consistent, playing in the toughest conferences. And if I were going to rank it on that and not specifically the points, which I get this is what this is, but I'm just saying my opinion on this, I would probably put Ohio State at number two, just in terms of overall consistency, uh, the amount of, I think you should get points for, you know what I think you should get points for that this missed out on? What's that? I think you should get points for those who make it in the top, like two rounds in the NFL, top two round picks or top yeah. top uh, first round picks. How about yeah. that? How about we get points for that? No, I, I think that's that's an interesting case right? to make. You know, certain teams like Miami Hurricanes, for example, Penn State's had some guys that were, were top round draft picks. Like those teams would end up getting some extra points instead of being down in the, you know, the, the 20s. Mm-hmm. They would probably be up in the top 10. And to your point, I would say consistency-wise throughout the decade, definitely Alabama. But Ohio State, to me, has been – and we've lost to Clemson a a couple of times. Yeah, and I uh, get that. I do get that. I I understand um, where that comes from. But just overall program consistency, right, the ability to uh, win, you know, double-digit games every single year to be in contention for national title conversation, whatever the case is, from – the start of the decade, and Ohio State had the one down year, but up through the end of it, Ohio State to me has been as consistent as anybody in America. Yep. No, I think so too. And when it comes to, you know, beating your rival in a rival like Michigan, just dominating something like that, where you look at Oklahoma and a program, and again, I'm going to rip on the Big 12 just because I rip on my own conference in the Pac 12. But just not a strong conference, right? You're not your rival is not somebody who you're, you know, is one of the biggest rivalries in the country. That's it's that's not what Oklahoma does. I mean, if they go Oklahoma State, right? Um, I understand Texas is also a rival, but for me, I, it's 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 also interesting to see Oklahoma at number four because I know that they have made it into the playoffs, but it's almost been like they've been just the one little lucky guy from the other conference that has yeah. got into the, and then they've gotten whooped, yeah. you know? So it's, I think it's that's always the, funny to see that. The overarching theme for me when I, when I evaluate Oklahoma is um, obviously big offense and they've had Heisman trophy quarterbacks who are very, oh, very yeah. good players. But yes. I think also part of the, the, the success is a, a function of the lack of defense. I and mean, I'm not yeah. saying those guys are bad players, but they're putting up gaudy numbers because they're good players playing against bad defenses. But um, you're right. They they can skate through that conference because yep. Texas was no challenge throughout the decade. Nope. And then get to the playoffs. I think they made it to the playoffs three times. And they did, yeah. their ass whooped each yep. time. They had the one game that was a shootout. Um, yep. Lots of points. But outside of that, I mean, they were embarrassed twice in the playoffs. I know. So I just, I'm putting up my, I'm trying to cause some controversy here. If you don't see what I'm doing here. Uh, (laughs) Here's, here's my question before we wrap this thing up. Okay. So this is the top five programs this decade. How much do you see this top five in just, you know, you've looked at the entire list. How much do you see this changing in the decade to come? Great question. Um, I think, I think Alabama depending on, you know, Saban's getting older and everything. I think their their star might be waning a little, a little bit. Yeah. 
Clemson, I, I feel like, has a good stronghold on recruiting. I feel like yeah. Dabo is, is Dabo, and he's going to be able to get his guys. They're going to be a strong program. Uh, not very much toner, turnover with coaches, all that. Ohio State has the opportunity, I think, on this list to be the, the one that takes over because you yeah. have the Urban Meyer era, which was fantastic, and then Ryan Day comes in first year right away, does a hell of a job, and then turns yep. it around and starts recruiting like a maniac. As long as Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley can stay married, I think that they have a great opportunity. They're in a great position within their conference. And then LSU is kind of the wild card off of this top. That is. That's a toss-up, you know? Because you you like Eddie O, but you ask the question, you know, how much of the magic was the Joe Burrow, Joe Brady combination? Um, Can they do it again is the question. Can they do it again? Completely agree with you. And I think I like, don't get me wrong. I like Edo. I mean, I, I like the fact that that program finally, it's always been a good program, right? But it, right. it's always lacked in certain departments of the program. And that's why you know, recently we hadn't seen them get to these national championship games. And then we saw it happen last year. And it, it was very cool. I, I will say I enjoyed seeing them win it all uh, with Joe Burrow at the helm. But at the helm, at the quarterback position. But I do kind of question Ed O in that stability consistency long term, just because I think I'd like to see it happen. I root it for it. But at the same time, I think you're right. I think magic may have happened this past season. And that's hard to duplicate. So especially in college football. Definitely. I mean, you know, like you said, all-star coordinator, you get the Heisman Trophy quarterback. That's a combination that's rare. Um, and LSU, like you said, they've they've been great, but they've struggled to to be elite in certain positions. I think it's the the offense being explosive with an elite quarterback is where they've struggled in my mind. I will add to this too. I'm very interested because I think in the past decades previous, we would have seen at least one Pac-12 school in the top five. Okay, we don't see that this decade. So my big question for my conference, my challenge to you. Pac-12. First of all, get a new commissioner. No, I'm just joking. No, I'm really not joking. Uh, second of all, like what is going to happen with that conference in the years, these next five years is crucial. Changes that need to be made, just things that need to be done in terms of keeping that a strong power five conference. Uh, because right now, when I look at this and I'm not seeing a Pac-12 team in football, like that's a problem. Yeah. So if it's going to be a school that lands in this next decade or whatever, it's going to have to be a school like USC or, you know, Oregon who it's, kind of hangs around, but I think is overrated. It's so going to be Oregon time. though. It, it absolutely it's is. It's going to be, but Oregon, okay, that's fine. Oregon. Cause you're fancy and all, and you get that love, but at the same time, you got to prove that love. You got to get, you got to get to the natty. You got to yeah. win the natty. Yeah. You can't I, just you can't just ride on your name in the Nike swoosh and all your cool uniforms. I, Sorry. I think, so you're you're onto something and this is this is why I agree with you 100% is this this past bowl season Big 10 had some great matchups. You know, you had Ohio State playing Clemson. It was a, a really really wild game. Uh, you had Penn State that was in a New Year's 6 bowl game. They beat Memphis, you know, a group of 5 team, but it was still great to get that win. You had the Outback Bowl Minnesota beat Auburn, right? So you had some of these great matchups. And then you had Wisconsin, who was like, you know, the antithesis of what Oregon wants to be. They're speed and they're, you know, wide open offense and everything. And you got Jack Cohn standing out there, you know, looking like (laughs) Phillip Rivers 
damn yeah. near playing quarterback. And and that was a game Wisconsin absolutely should have won. They gave it away. They turned the ball over like four times the whole deal. Yeah. But that like that is what Oregon has been able to capitalize on is get to a New Year's Six game. They were playing in the Rose Bowl. And then, right. you know, for them, it wasn't that they necessarily beat Wisconsin, who I think was a, a fantastic team. Yeah. It was that Wisconsin kept them in the game. And yep. so they're number seven on this current list. I think that is probably their ceiling because as it stands today, they don't do anything elite. They do a lot nope. of things really well, but Good. there's nothing yeah. elite. Yep. I completely agree with you, but that's my whole point with this Pac-12 conference is they are no longer elite, any of their programs. Okay. And that's a problem. So who's going to Who's going to be the, the program who becomes a lead in the Pac-12? Or is there not going to be one? Exactly. So um, USC, the pressure's on you. Although I don't root for you, I root for you to somewhat represent the Pac-12. And uh, you're the only program that I see really doing that. But there's going to have to be a lot of changes before that happens. Well, that was fun. It was. That was really fun. We kind of just, we didn't have a lot, you guys, this week. It's been a slower week, which is surprising to say. Because every week we've had a lot of stuff to talk about. We've had plenty so we of news. We really have. And so we had to add in that fun little thing to end this uh, episode of Press Pass. So again, we appreciate you guys listening. We've had some new viewers uh, in terms of listening viewership kind of gone up. So we really appreciate you guys subscribing to the podcast, listening um, when it comes out. And we usually try to get this podcast out on Wednesday mornings or Tuesday kind of depends. So just look on our social media platforms for that. You can follow us on Press Pass on Instagram. It's at Press Pass Pod. That kind of shows you when our podcasts are out. And then Joshua, always very interactive on Twitter. Where can they go to find you? They can find me at RIP underscore JEP on Twitter. Um, I had what I thought was a uh, a pretty unique thread. I, you know, we were talking about the Mississippi State flag and, and you know, how they're going to change that and how it would make sense to uh, to completely distance from the the rebel uh, mascot and, yeah. and nickname if you're Ole Miss. We're, we're going through that paradigm shift in a lot of different places and, and specifically in my other industry. I work in media, but I also work in real estate. People yep. in Columbus, if you have any buying or selling needs, holler at your boy. But um, we're going through some similar shifts where we're trying to return language. And um, it's not just for, you know, necessarily like, racist undertones and language. It's the same thing where uh, real estate's been prohibitive for LGBTQIA plus community, yep. for women, for uh, people with disabilities, etc. Um, yep. And so I implore people to think about the language they use every day. Um, and, and especially if it's associated with education, if it's associated with your job, whatever the case is, how that language might represent structures that have been uh, prohibitive and biased yeah. Um, and, and eliminated opportunities for people in the past. I like that. I really like that. Uh, Joshua always has really insightful stuff on his um, Twitter account. So definitely go and follow him. Strike up a conversation if you'd like. Hey, and strike up a conversation about our last topic, just the top yes. five uh, programs a second. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I'll tweet out a thing on that, Joshua, so we can get kind of some conversation stirred up. But we really appreciate you guys tuning in. Like I said, each and every week, you can go follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kayla Anderson TV. Please go subscribe. Apple Podcasts, just type in Press Pass. It'll pop up. You can just give us a rank review if you'd like. We'd love that. Or just subscribe and listen to us. And if you ever have any questions or want us to talk about anything specific in college football, 
you know what, just let us know and we'll do it. We appreciate you guys. Have a great week. Joshua, my friend, we'll, we'll talk next week. Definitely. All right. Take care, guys.